Let us be attentive. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of our fathers, for you are just in all you have done. Wisdom. The reading is from St. Paul's letter to the Hebrews. Let us be attentive. Brethren, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, received promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign enemies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and scourging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering over deserts and mountains, and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though well attested by their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had foreseen something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Peace be with you, the reader. arise, let us hear the Holy Gospel. Peace be with you all. The reading is from the Holy Gospel according to St. John. Let us be attentive. At that time, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael, and he said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, 
an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You shall see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Peace be with you who proclaim the gospel. And so we have come to the Sunday of Orthodoxy. The first Sunday of Great Lent is the Sunday on which we celebrate the triumph of Orthodoxy. Very quick as a historical note, of course, in 843 A.D., a great controversy was settled regarding the place of icons in the church. After years of confusion and persecution, the role of icons is clarified. The end of the great struggle is marked on this Sunday. It is called the Sunday of Orthodoxy. There are many things to say about this feast, but the one on which I want to focus is the very simple fact that this great feast, this great celebration, takes place on the first Sunday in Lent, not a period of feasting, but a period of fasting. That simple fact tells us something about what it means to be orthodox, something key about what orthodoxy is. To begin to reflect on this, I want to start by sharing with you something that I heard a few years ago that was very interesting and provoked a lot of reflection on my part. I read a Good Friday sermon in which someone said he found himself on a bus on Good Friday. And he said he hadn't felt as separated from the people around him in a long time as he did that day. Because he was thinking of Good Friday on a bus with people who didn't seem to be believers. And he realized how much Good Friday is different from the rest of the world. 
other Christian feasts can easily be assimilated into secular holidays. Christmas can easily become uh, a, a celebration of Santa Claus and gifts. Because the notion of giving and the notion of new birth is something that anyone would want to celebrate. Right? St. Patrick's Day can easily become uh, a happy day to celebrate with shamrocks and leprechauns. Valentine's Day can be about cupids and, and little candy hearts. But Good Friday is different. There's nothing you can sell in the cross of Christ. It doesn't work as a marketing scheme, right? And, and, and all of Great Lent is exactly like that. It's a time when we recognize that we're a little different from what's going on in the rest of the world. And so as I say, it seems to me very significant that it's in the middle of Lent, on the first Sunday of Lent, that we celebrate the Sunday of Orthodoxy. To reflect on that a little further, the fathers of the church, when they talk about the parable of the talents that we read in church a couple of weeks ago, and of course in the parable of the talents, it's a, a parable in which a man gives five talents to one servant, two talents to another, and one talent to another. The man with five talents gets five more. The man with two talents gets two more. But the man who was given one talent, what did he do with his talent? He buried it. And where did he bury it? He buried it in the ground. He buried it in the earth. It became covered and consumed and obscured completely by earthly cares. Its home was buried in the earth with no room to grow, no room to shine, no room to go anywhere. It was entirely consumed with earthly cares. And so often, our lives can be very much the same. And so, in Great Lent, we're given the opportunity to uncover ourselves from earthly cares, to set aside uh, just a little bit those earthly cares. Of course, we fast, we go to church more. But for some of us, Great Lent is a time when perhaps we don't change all that much. And so, if we... Uh, 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 but, but in that case, we remain consumed in those earthly cares. We remain locked in the earth. And so we should all try to do something during Lent. We may not keep the full fast. It may seem too difficult. But we should do something. And God recognizes the effort. God thanks us for the gift. Yesterday in the retreat, when we talked about the, the great fast, uh, we talked about an example from the sayings of the Desert Fathers. Of course, great ascetics who go out into the desert and fast and, and keep night vigils and pray constantly. Great, strong athletes of the faith. And one of them, a young man, sees an older monk sleeping on a pillow in the cave. And he says, what is this? We're all sleeping on the ground. And he's sleeping on this soft pillow. What is he doing? And another older monk said to him, do you know where he came from? He came from a great, wealthy house. And he's come to live in a cave in the desert. You were born on a farm. You've slept on the ground your whole life. It's not that hard for you. For him to sleep on that pillow and nothing else is an immense sacrifice. All of us, all of us can do something during this period. Not to show that we're better than everyone else. Not to sort of uh, have something we can brag about. But to remove those earthly cares. To take them away from us. 
to put our lives in the proper perspective so that we're not totally consumed by the world. Because we very much find ourselves like the earliest Christians in so many ways. When St. Paul, in his letters to his various cities, uh, writes to solve the problems that his recent converts are facing, one of the biggest problems is that they're trying to imagine themselves in a new way. Imagine what it means to live now in light of the resurrection of Christ. And he tells them, you're a new creation. Put off what is old and put on what is new. You're new. You are the body of Christ. But every day they wake up, and as we read in these letters, we see their problems. If they're the body of Christ, every day they wake up, and they find themselves still stuck very much in the body politic of Corinth or Thessalonica or Philippi, the cities that they call home. And they're navigating between these old lives and new. Some of them, we see the problems they face. They wonder, I'm married to a non-believer. How can I live the new life in this marriage? And Paul says, you sanctify your spouse. You remain married, of course. Some of them are taking one another to court, and Paul uh, wants to encourage them to see the conflicts that trouble them in a new way. In every one of these ways, he's trying to convert their imagination. He's trying to get them to conceive of themselves in a way that's totally new and navigate that line between their old lives and the new life in Christ. And as he educates their consciences, as he educates their consciences in how to uh, refocus, one of the things that he stresses more than anything is the power of having a generous spirit toward one another within their community. And he tells them, of course, in the famous letter to the Corinthians, the famous, we call it the hymn to love. Love is patient, love is kind, love is, love is not jealous or boastful. And this makes us feel very nice. We put it on our refrigerators, we all have it. But this poetic hymn was written in the midst of a great conflict in that community where people, some, some people saw themselves as the spiritual elite. They thought that they had spiritual gifts that others didn't possess. And that's something, too, to remind ourselves of when in the period of Great Lent we try to separate ourselves, perhaps, from the world. We're not making ourselves better than other people. We're not somehow becoming an elite. What we need to become is more humble. To ascend to God is to descend to serve and to love and to be more kind to the people around us. This is why Paul says of love, it is not jealous, it is not boastful, it doesn't remember wrongs. And this is the spirit that we have to take out of Lent. All these athletic exercises that we're going to do for our spiritual lives over the next couple of weeks are all generated not towards some kind of success, some, sign, some kind of elitism, but to make us uh, more fertile ground for the seeds of Christ to grow. And so maybe even the word love is perhaps too abstract or perhaps too lofty for us uh, to focus on, let's just be more kind. Let's make our Lenten journey an exercise in simply being more kind to one another. Right? That's all uh, perhaps... If we can accomplish that, that's enough. Because this is what it means to separate ourselves from the world, to see humanity in the other people around us. And as we proceed, of course, 
and we remind ourselves that we are separated from this world, we don't do so because of some morose or dark vision, the death that we die to our egos, to the spirits of anger or, or contentiousness that are in us, the death we die to those things are so that we can rise to new life in Christ. Because he is the one who reminds us that we, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Amen.